Well, we're continuing uh, this uh, December morning to make our way through the book of Joshua. And what a great time of preparation we've had this morning for thinking about uh, worship and what it means for us to come together as a body and in worship. That's something we've been uh, thinking about over the last uh, few weeks in our time in Joshua. So if you turn with me to Joshua 22 as we prepare to, to read that here. Joshua 22, we looked at the first a few verses of this, this chapter uh, two weeks ago. We looked at the, the call to, to biblical worship that Joshua uh, gives to the people, and we're going to look at the rest of, of the chapter this morning. And so, if you're able to, if you would stand with me in honor of God as we read His Word together, we'll read part of it standing up, and then I'll let you sit down, I'll finish the chapter uh, but in the first, uh, first eight verses, the, the people of the two and a half tribes that live on the east side of the Jordan River have been called to worship by, by Joshua, to, to good worship as they go back on their side. And then we come uh, to verse 9, and, and it says that these two and a half tribes, verse 9, So the people of Reuben, and the people of Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh returned home parting from the people of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the land of Gilead, their own land, of which they had possessed themselves by command of the Lord through Moses. And when they came to the region of the Jordan that is in the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size. And the people of Israel heard it and said, Behold, the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built the altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region about the Jordan on the side that belongs to the people of Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. And then the people of Israel sent to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, and with him ten chiefs, one from each of the tribal families of Israel, every one of them the head of a family among the clans of Israel. And they came to the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead, and they said to them, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What is this breach of faith that you have committed against the God of Israel in turning away this day from following the Lord? By building yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord. Have we not had enough of the sin at Pure, from which even yet we have not cleansed ourselves, and for which there came a plague upon the congregation of the Lord, that you, that you too must turn away this day from following the Lord? And if you too rebel against the Lord today, then tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. But now... If the land of your possession is unclean, pass over into the Lord's land where the Lord's tab tabernacle stands and take for yourselves a possession among us. Only do not rebel against the Lord or make us as, as rebels by building for yourselves an altar other than the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, break faith in the matter of the devoted things and wrath fell upon all the congregation of Israel? And he did not perish alone for his iniquity. I'm going to continue reading, but you may be seated. Uh, continuing in verse 21, so they've, they've confronted the, the two and a half tribes about this altar that they've seen, 
And then the people respond. Verse 21, Then the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh said in answer to the heads of the families of Israel, The Mighty One, God the Lord. The Mighty One, God the Lord. He knows and let Israel itself know. If it was in rebellion or in breach of faith against the Lord, do not spare us today for building an altar to turn away from following the Lord. Or if we did so to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings on it, may the Lord himself take vengeance. No, but we did it from fear that in time to come your children might say to our children, what have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a, a boundary between us and you, you people of Reuben and the people of Gad. You have no portion, I'm sorry, this is what they're, they're saying to, this is what they're afraid that their, their children will say to their children. For the Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you, the people of Reuben and of the people of Gad. You have no portion of the Lord, so your children might make our children cease to worship the Lord. Therefore, we said, let us now build an altar, not for a burnt offering nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you. And between our generations after us, that we do perform the service of the Lord in his presence with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings, so your children will not say to our children in time to come, you have no portion in the Lord. And we thought, if this should be said to us or to our descendants in time to come, we should say, behold, the copy of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings, nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn away this day from following the Lord by building an altar for burnt offerings, grain offerings, or sacrifice other than the altar of the Lord our God that stands before his tabernacle. When Phinehas the priest and the chiefs of the congregation, the heads of the families of Israel who were with him, heard the words that the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh spoke, it was good in their eyes. And Phinehas the son of Eleazar the priest said to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh, today we know that the Lord is in our midst because you have not committed this breach of faith against the Lord. Now you have delivered the people of Israel from the hand of the Lord. Then Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priests and the chiefs, returned from the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan to the people of Israel and brought back word to them. And that report, the report was good in the eyes of the people of Israel. And the people of Israel blessed God and spoke no more of making war against them to destroy the land where the people of Reuben and the people of Gad were settled. The people of Reuben and the people of Gad called the altar witness. For, they said, it is a witness between us that the Lord, that Yahweh, is God. And Father, we would ask this morning that you would open our eyes to understand your word, that you would allow our hearts to absorb these truths, and that you would cause us to, as we know you and, and, and believe these truths and understand them, to, to live them out, specifically in how we approach you in your holiness. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Two weeks ago, I mentioned that I wanted us to look at this passage and think about a biblical model of worship. What, what should it look like as we at Bethany Community Church gather together on a Sunday morning to, to worship the Lord? I want us to think about 
what, what biblically should that time together look like? And that's what we're continuing to do this morning. Now, one of the things that maybe I, I should have talked about two weeks ago is just even the word worship. What do we mean when we use the word worship? And there are several different things we can mean when we, when we use that word, several different ways to, to think about worship. Worship has a very broad sense and a very narrow sense, right? It's very broad. In fact, all that we do, Scripture tells us, our entire lives are worship. Our, our entire lives, as, as one person put it, are to, to re- reflect the, and acknowledge the greatness of our covenant Lord. And so all of our lives are worship in that sense. It's very broad, and yet it's also very narrow. Worship also, as Wayne Grudem puts it, is, is the activity of glorifying God in his presence with our, our voices and our hearts. So, so there's a, a narrow sense in which we use that word worship too. It describes what's taking place right now. Those of us who are, are part of Bethany Community Church and other believers who are here visiting with us this morning, we're, we're coming together and, and there's this, this broad sense in which all of our life is worship, but there's also a narrow sense in which this morning is a special time where we acknowledge the greatness of God through our, our singing and through our prayers and through our study of, of Scripture. So there's a broad sense, a narrow sense to understand worship. There's also a way in which we can think of worship as, as inward and outward. Uh, John Piper puts it this way. The inner essence of worship is to, to know God truly and then respond from the heart to that knowledge by valuing God, treasuring God, prizing God, enjoying God, being satisfied with God above all earthly things. So there's this, this inner, inner sense in which I, I know these truths about God and as I contemplate these true thoughts about who God is, there's this, there's this value that I place upon him. I, I treasure him and I understand from my heart his value and his worth and then... Piper goes on, that deep, restful, joyful satisfaction in God overflows in demonstrable acts of of worship, of praise from the lips. This morning and, and two weeks ago, we're focusing on the more narrow aspect of worship. Not how all of our life is worship, but what does it look like for us as a, a community of faith to, to gather together and rightly worship God as he instructs us to in his word. And as I also mentioned a few weeks ago, uh, this, this is a, a family conversation a little bit, right? This is a conversation we're having for us as a church. What do we believe what we're, that we're supposed to do as we come together? Because the idea of what worship is and what it means to go to church and worship has, has changed a lot in the last several decades. Many years ago, whenever someone said, an evangelical Christian said, I'm going to go to church and worship this morning, we, we kind of all knew what we meant by that. What it meant was, I'm going to go to this place at a certain time, at a certain place, and I'm, I'm going to sing some songs about the Lord that are, that are praises to Him. I'm going to listen to a sermon from God's Word, and I'm going to be there with, with other believers. And, and now, whenever an evangelical Christian says, I'm going to go to church, we can mean a lot of different things. A person could say, I'm, I'm going to church to worship God, and they can mean, I'm going to a, a facility where we're going to sing, sing some songs that aren't really necessarily about God at all. I'm going to listen to a, a message that's not necessarily from Scripture, and I'm going to be gathered there with, with people who may not be, even be uh, 
may not even claim to be believers. That's what a person can mean today sometimes when they go to church. And so what I want to encourage us to do, what I want to encourage us to do, is to think about our need for, for worship. Our souls desperately need true, biblical, God-glorifying worship. It is absolutely essential for our spiritual health that we fulfill the purpose for which we are created. And we need a time as believers to come together as those who've been called together to worship God as, as a body. And so again, this is a message for those of us who are part of Bethany Community Church. I recognize, I, I was kind of thinking about this this morning, obviously we have a, a lot of, of people here who are from other churches, and we are glad to have you here this morning. As I say some things, please don't read in, in this disparagement of other believers, okay? And so maybe if you do some things different, this doesn't mean that we think you, you love God less. Um, we're just better, okay? No, that's not it, right? That's not it. Please hear me. We are all on a spectrum, right? And, and clearly, clearly there are some types of worship that exist with people that are, that are it's unbiblical, okay? There, there's absolutely unbiblical worship, and I, I hope all of us would say that's not where we want to be. There are also some things on the spectrum where I would say, man, there's some unwise practices that some Christians are engaging in that don't allow them to fulfill the biblical purpose of worship, and I, I would quite frankly say that's, that's unwise. But there are a lot of biblical churches, and this is where I would place us, who are, are trying to worship God in a biblical way, and yet we need to grow, at Bethany Community Church, we need to grow continually in our ability to, to worship God rightly. Our hearts are not always right as we come to worship God. We can constantly improve in our ability as a group to worship God as he says to be worshipped. I think about just a few years ago when we were talking as, as, as a church and we are kind of thinking through this and some people, you know, we talked about our, our prayer, our time of corporate prayer, we're, we're doing it. We think we can do this more biblically, and so we, we've grown in that. It's been a very sweet time of, of corporate worship, and we're going to continue to improve in that as we move into this, this new worship facility, this new building, allowing ourselves to pursue, continually to grow in our ability to worship God as he says he's to be worshiped from the heart, contemplating his greatness and expressing that on a Sunday morning, doing the things he's called us to do. Here's, here's kind of the main idea that we looked at. We want to joyfully commit ourselves as a church to passionate, God-directed, Christ-centered, spirit-filled worship. That's where we want to be as believers, right? At Bethany Community Church, we're saying, you know what, we want to ask God, what do we need to do? Because we want to commit ourselves to passionate, God-directed, Christ-centered, spirit-filled worship. And we began last week to talk about being called to biblical worship. We looked at verses 1 through 8. And we looked especially at verse 5 where Joshua, remember he's talking to these, 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 there's the Jordan River, the promised land is on the western side of the Jordan River, and yet God has allowed these two and a half tribes to live on the eastern side of the river. But he said through Moses, you've got to come, you've got to help us conquer what's on the west side of the river. And so these two and a half tribes, Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh came over, they helped conquer the land, and now Joshua is sending them back to the eastern side. And, verse 5, he tells them, only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and to walk 
and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So there's a, a call to biblical worship. And we talked about this last week. Now here's, here's the second thing that we see in this text as we think about worshiping God as he, as he calls us to worship him. Number two, there's a need for confronting unbiblical worship. And, and this is where we're going to spend most of our, almost all of our, our time this morning, looking at some of the principles here. And, and some of you are kind of like me. You're, you say, well, hold on. There's a lot of blanks here. Christine filled all the blanks in for you below this point. So we're good to go. We can relax and just spend some time here in the time we have left looking mainly at verses 9 through 20 and, and what it means to confront unbiblical worship. This is the, the principle that I think is the hardest to understand. And, and I want to take this, this larger principle and look at five other principles that help us confront unbiblical worship in the text. Number one, how do, how do we do this? So we've been called to biblical worship, right? We've got we to worship biblically. And now, what do we do when our worship isn't biblical? How, how do we process that? How do we confront unbiblical worship? Let's, let's look at the text, and here's the first principle about confronting unbiblical worship. Number one, we need to see unbiblical worship as a serious danger to our souls. See unbiblical worship as a serious danger to your soul. You say, so what do you mean? Well, look, look at verses 9 through 12. What, what happens here? Remember, Joshua has told the two and a half tribes, okay, you guys can go back. And so they begin to go back. And on their way back, I think it's on the western side of the Jordan River, they build this big altar. An altar, the text says, of imposing size. And the rest of Israel sees this altar. And they ask themselves, what is this altar doing here? What's an altar for? An altar is for, for sacrificing things on. Why why have they built this, this altar here? Why have these two and a half tribes built an altar to sacrifice in a place that God has not said that sacrifices should be? They believe that they, these two and a half tribes are engaging in idolatry. Remember Deuteronomy chapter 12. There's several places that talk about this, but Deuteronomy chapter 12, God tells the people, destroy all the other places where the nations uh, worship, the nations that you just dispossess, destroy the places where they serve their gods, on the high mountains, on the hills, under every green tree. Tear down their altars. Chop down the carved images. Don't worship the Lord your God in that way, but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go, and there you shall present your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes, and the contribution that you present, your vow offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. So, in other words, Moses had told the people, God had told the people through Moses, look, there's a certain place you're to go, and that's where you're to offer sacrifices. And so the ten and a half tribes see that the two and a half tribes have left, and they see that they built this altar, and they think, oh no. They have violated this principle that God has given us about how we're to worship him. Now, how big a deal is this really? I mean, think about it from this perspective. These two and a half tribes are still going to worship Yahweh God. They're still going to call this God Yahweh. And the altar looks essentially the same. 
they're going to offer, let's say they're going to offer the same types of sacrifice. They're going to go through the same sort of rituals that God had told the people to go through. How, how big a deal is this really? If, if everything is exactly the same except the place, what is the big deal? It says that the tribes gather together to make war. That the, the, the people hear what's taken place. In verse 12, the whole assembly of the people gathers at Shiloh to make war against them. It feels like that escalated a little quickly, right? What's the big deal? Isn't that a little bit of an overreaction? And the answer is no. The people of Israel see idolatry rightly as an existential threat. It is a threat to who they are as the people of God for people to begin to worship a God other than Yahweh God. And make no mistake, to worship in a place where God has not said that he is to be worshipped is to commit idolatry. Whitney, uh, there's a couple things that um, my wife Whitney doesn't like. And she said it was okay for me to share these reluctantly. Um, she doesn't like uh, loud, chaotic spaces. It's not, not an enjoyable thing for her. Uh, she doesn't like improv. It makes her very nervous. Uh, she feels like many, m- much improv is done poorly, and it, it, makes her, it makes her uncomfortable to see people embarrassing themselves. She doesn't, that's not, she doesn't like people embarrassing themselves, and she doesn't like to embarrass herself. You know? So those are some things that she doesn't like. Now, over the years, uh, people have in- invited her to do karaoke. <laughs> karaoke really combines all of those things, right? <laughs> it's loud, it's chaotic, it's people embarrassing themselves, it's kind of improv. She just says, this is not, this is not my scene. She loves it, other people love it, but, but she's, she, just, she has never graced the world with her karaoke abilities. It's this, this hidden gem. You know, she told me if I said this that she's going to get 15 invitations to karaoke. Um, now, if you do that, if, if you take it upon yourself to, to do that, understand, um, if you keep on doing that, the more you get to know Whitney, you just need to understand you're not really engaging Whitney be, by doing something that she's going to enjoy. All right? now, now, she may... Uh, eventually cave, hasn't happened yet in our marriage, but maybe somebody should cave and she'd go do that with some people. But, but here's, here's the deal. A person who knows another person, what they, what they like, is going to engage them on, on that basis, right? I, I, know that you, I know that you enjoy karaoke, so if I want to do something you enjoy, that's something we're going to go do, right? Or, or if I want to make you, you happy, and I know that you enjoy a certain type of, of uh, sports activity, we're going to go and we're going to do that, that sports activity or go to that game. I'm going to find out what, what you enjoy, and that's the thing I'm going to do. Now, when it comes to God, we need to say, okay, unbiblical worship, worshiping God in ways that he has said not to worship him or worshiping in ways that he, he hasn't said to worship him, that's not something that is going to bring him glory. That's not rightly understanding who he is and responding to him on the basis of the knowledge I have of who he is and how he desires to be worshipped. Unbiblical worship is not something that exalts God by recognizing his greatness and his character. 
Now, I may, do, I may want to do a lot of things in worship because I enjoy them. Maybe I enjoy classic rock or TED Talks or some sort of motivational speaking. And there is nothing, there's, there's oh, I don't want to get in the rock wars. Um, there are some classic rock songs that I'm sure a believer can listen to and glorify God. There are some uh, there, there are some TED Talks or some motivational, I'm sure that a person can glorify God and engage in those types of things, but not in worship. Not, not in a time of corporate worship on a Sunday morning where God's people are coming together to worship him. Beatles songs are, are not the content of our worship. I don't think that's a controversial statement. Modern pop songs are not the content of, of our worship of a Yahweh God. And we need to say, okay, unbiblical worship, approaching him in ways that he is not said to worship him, is not, not true worship. I need to rec- rightly recognize, as the people of Israel do here, that I want to proclaim the greatness of my covenant God, and I, I need to do that in the way that he's called me to do it. Here's the second thing I want us to think about. So a failure to get that right is a danger to my soul and the souls of all that I love dearly. And so I need to see, I need to recognize my obligation to promote biblical worship in my community of faith. I need to recognize I have an obligation to promote true, God-honoring, biblical worship in my, in my community of faith. Look what happens in verses 13 through 15. It says in verses 13 through 15 that the people gather uh, rep- representatives. So, so Phineas uh, the son of Eleazar, the priest, goes over and he brings representatives from, from all of the other tribes that are on the west side of the Jordan River. And they, they go to, to talk to the other two and a half tribes and say, okay, guys, w- what's going on? The whole assembly recognizes we've we got to deal with this. Now, this is in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant. And all of the people of Israel have this, have this responsibility to worship God. God's placed upon this, this nation to worship God rightly. How, how does that translate or how does it apply to those of us who are under the new covenant? As we look at the New Testament that reveals our obligations under the new covenant, under the law of Christ, we see that it's, it's, it's the local church in which we have our most, uh, our most extensive obligation here, right? In other words, kind of think about these, these concentric circles. And in one sense, I, I'm, I have a relationship with all believers. There's a universal church, all who've placed their faith in Jesus Christ. I have a responsibility to care for them, love them as God gives me opportunities. I need to help provide for them. There's, there's a sense of that. And, and then there's kind of this, this smaller circle, though, the, the, most, the, the, the closest circle for which I'm responsible for are the people that I gather with on a regular basis to, to worship to talk about God's word, to read scripture together, to sing God's word to one another, to, to partake of the Lord's supper together, there's a special obligation I have to, to the people who are part of my, my local church. That's what scripture teaches us. Well, how do I, how do I promote that type of worship? And, and the more that we can grasp, the more that we can grasp that that worship is not just some individual experience that I have with God on a Sunday morning, the more I can understand the communal aspect of the worship that I'm engaged in, the more biblical my worship will be. Now, now how do I promote that? How do I promote biblical worship? Here's, here's a couple thoughts. 
as we think about our obligation, our obligation to promote biblical worship in our community of faith. One, it means, recognizing my obligation means that I'm obligated to prioritize the Lord's day, right? That I'm obligated to prioritize the Lord's day and, and worshiping on it. In other words, Sunday morning is, is an important time for my spiritual health. And I need, in, in my family, or if I'm a, if a single person in the, my, my, my recreational activities, I need to do all that I can to be committed to the time of, of gathering with other believers. Sunday morning worship is, is important. It also means that we're obligated to participate in the, the elements of a worship service. If I'm going to promote biblical worship, I need to participate in the elements of a worship service. I need to engage in prayer. I need to engage in the, the times of, of preaching, of singing, of, of the Lord's Supper. We're, we're obligated to, to, to do those things. And I would also say this, and I want to be, I think we need to be careful here. But I think this means that when I, especially when I encounter people within my church who maybe have some unbiblical views of worship, I need to ask them some follow-up questions to think about that. Help them think about that and help me understand what they mean. So, for example, a person may say to me, um, you know, I, I really, I can't worship to that style of music we sang this morning. It, it, it was too new, or it, it was too old. You know, I can't sing that that old stuff. It's not how my it's not how my spirit responds to truth. Well, you know, a person says I can't worship the new style of music. I might say, well, look, you know, I, help me understand what you mean because the psalmist says, sing to the Lord a, a new song, not just once, but but multiple times. Psalm thirty three three, Psalm ninety six one, Psalm ninety eight. Those aren't radio stations. Uh, Psalm ninety eight one. Uh, Psalm 144, 9, uh, sing to the Lord a new song. So it's it's a good thing that we live in a time where where God-honoring, Christ-centered lyrics are being developed, and I I need that. That's that's biblical worship. Or a person might say, you know what, man, Uh, I just just need the new stuff. The old hymns just don't, don't, I can't respond to them. I said, look, you know what, Uh, help me understand that, because Psalm Psalm 78, 4, Psalm 78, 4 is is the... um, Verse that's on my, my, my father's gravestone. I was able to see that last week when we were down in Texas. We all went there for the, for the first time, all the kids, to, to see that. And my dad had a very particular style of music. He, he told me, I think I've shared this before, he said, you know, look, the ideal worship is one song leader and a piano, and the song leader doesn't sing that well, you know. And so, uh, you know, there weren't a lot of churches that, that embraced fully my dad's style of worship, uh, or what he found ideal, but he understood that his ideal wasn't the ideal for a church. And he, Psalm 78, 4, tell to the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord in his mind and the wonders that he's done. So in other words, I need others telling me that the truths of, of God's, God's word from generations past. I need hymns. A person might say, look, I, I need songs to do, that celebrate me more and don't talk much about my sin. I, I've had someone tell me that before. Or I need relevant preaching, not, not a lecture. And we've got to shut that garbage down, people. No. Um, <laughs> no, we say, okay, well, what, what is the biblical purpose of a, of a sermon? And absolutely, can the, can, the, can the pastor at a church, can the pastor at Bethany Community Church grow in his ability to communicate God's word? Absolutely. 
but we want to make sure, are we, are we moving to the things that we need to be moving to, growing deeper in our understanding of what a sermon is supposed to do? As in a, The point of this is as we encounter unbiblical ideas of worship with people we love, who we're committed to worship with on a Sunday morning, we, we talk about it. We ask follow-up questions. We say, hey, is your understanding of what needs to take place during this time the same as what God's understanding is, is what, what needs to take place in this time? And that's what we're growing toward. We're also obligated to encourage one another to greater obedience in worship in our, in our times of worshiping. And so we, we, we keep growing in that. Number three, as we think about uh, what we're trying to accomplish here as we confront unbiblical worship, we need to focus on the core God-centered issues in worship, not matters of preference. Listen to what happens in verse 16. As they're confronting these two and a half tribes, they, they, don't, they don't get on the peripheral issues. They get right to the heart of what the, the true issue is. They say, what is this breach of faith that you've committed against, against God? So not what have you done to us, not what have you done to other people. What have you done against the God of Israel in turning away this day from following the Lord by building yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord? So say, okay, the core issue is are you in your worship in rebellion against the Lord? Now, how do we apply this in our cultural context? As we live life with other believers, we have an obligation to, to focus, as, as we encounter sin in each other's life, to, to focus on, on the core God-centered issues. So, for example, we see someone is, is bitter, that they have an unforgiving spirit with, with another person with, with whom they worship, another person who would call themselves a believer, and we say, look, um, th- this can't be. You know, this morning we sang a song. The kids helped us sing a song, Is He Worthy? Talking about our, our absolute unworthiness before God. We, we sang that song together. The kids helped us sing that song. We understood that it's only the lamb that has the ability, only the lamb that has the ability to open the scrolls, to deal with our sin, and is worthy to open the, the seals on the scroll. That's the lamb who's saved us. And now... We've received mercy we do not deserve to receive. We sang about that. How in the world can we be bitter toward a fellow believer, a person who's a fellow recipient of God's grace? That cannot be. We focus on issues like that. We, we focus on, on tangible, clear issues as we see violations of, of biblical principles so that we can worship God fully. Fourth thought here, fourth principle we remind loved ones of the consequences of unbiblical worship. So look at verses 17 and 18. They say, look, this is, this is the thing that we're worried about in verse 16. We're worried that you're in rebellion against God. And then they say, verse 17 and 18, look, remember the consequences of, of idolatry. They talk about the sin of Baal Peor, where you can read about it in Numbers 25, where 24,000 people died in a plague. And so as, as, as we encounter other believers, maybe who are unforgiving or engaged in gossip or slander and yet uh, hypocritically coming together to worship, we say, look, remember, look, look what Scripture says about the heart of unbelief, about the heart of disobedience. Brothers and sisters, these things should not be so. And then fifth, fifth principle, what do we do as we confront unbiblical worship? Number five, we show loved ones the joy-filled, hopeful alternatives to idolatry. We take loved ones 
to God's word and we say, look, this, this is the, the joy-filled alternative to an idolatrous life, a joyful life in Christ. And in verses 19 through 20, what the, I, I love what these, these people do as they confront these representatives, as they confront these two and a half tribes. They say, look, um, it, they, don't, they don't say, look, you are, you, you're too far gone, and now we just want to give you a heads up because we're going to destroy you all. They say, look, here's, here's a path. Here's the path that you're on, and now let me show that you the, and here's where it ends in destruction, and now let me show you the, the beautiful path of obedience to God. And brothers and sisters, that's what we must do as well. As we encounter fellow believers like ourselves who are in need of God's grace, sometimes extra doses and measures of God's grace, we say, look, here, here yeah, here's the path of destruction, yes, 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 but also Here's the way in which you can pursue obedience. And here's the joy that lies along this path. And as, as Romans says, this is not, this is not a, according to Deuteronomy, this is, not a, this is not some path that's far off. It's, you don't have to say, what do I have to do to, to get here? All you need to do is to call upon the name of the Lord and you can be saved and you can be on this path. God is not far away where you can't hear us. God isn't some uh, mountain that we have to climb to reach. You can be on this path of joy. And so the, the ten and a half tribes say, look, yes, you're walking in disobedience. We think, we're afraid. But look, we, you can come over and you can have some of our land. You can be close to the tabernacle. Just don't engage in this idolatry. Well, we don't have time to go deep into these next two points, but, but what we see next in verses 21 through 29 is committing to biblical worship. Committing to biblical worship. And, and you see on your, your notes some of the principles there. You can look at the text. But, but the bottom line is this, that the people who are being confronted give some good news. They say, look, good news, guys. We are not engaging in idolatry. As God is our witness, what we did was we built this altar to remind us of the biblical principles of who God is and to remind you that we are part of this community of faith. And the last thing we see is celebration. Beginning in verse 30, there is celebrating biblical worship. It says that they hear about their brother's commitment to Yahweh God and the other people of Israel rejoice. And, and why do they rejoice? Because they recognize that it's by God's grace alone that this type of worship can exist. We have not arrived as perfect worshipers of the triune God at Bethany. We have a ways to go. But isn't it wonderful that we get to do it together? And isn't it wonderful that God has, has placed each of us in each other's life to be committed to, to following after God and obedience and, and helping each other continue on this path of joyful obedience to God so we can grow in our ability to worship him together? On a Sunday morning, yes, but on a Sunday morning in such a way that it, that, it, that it overflows into the rest of our week and months and years and life as long as the Lord allows so, by God's grace, as we come to him, recognizing our sin, 
recognizing the provision of a Savior, Jesus Christ, and placing our faith not in our own works, but in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. As we do that, recognizing the treasure that is Jesus Christ, let's joyfully commit ourselves as a church to passionate, God-directed, and doing what God tells us to do, Christ-centered, Christ being only Christ being the basis of our salvation, Spirit-filled, being completely obedient to God through the work of the Spirit and enabling the work of the Spirit within us. Let's commit to that type of worship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for our, our children. Father, we recognize this morning that, uh, that the children that you have given us are just a sign of your incredible grace. And to see all the, the so many children on the stage this morning, we, we recognize that we have been blessed beyond, far beyond what we could ever hope to deserve, even, even through grace. And so we, we pray that you would help us to be faithful as a church to this, this stewardship you've given us. Help us to, to love these kids well and to help them understand the beauty of your son, Jesus, and help that, that message to be conveyed through our worship and help us grow in what it means to come together and worship your awesome and holy name. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.